Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. of the sleeper and the bus it is monday may 9th and i'm your host paul spore joined by eno saris eno how's it going my man uh up and at um <laughs> the goggles they do nothing, they do nothing. <laughs> uh, back when the simpsons was good so 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 very long ago uh we got plenty to talk about today we're going to do an episode similar to last time where we're just kind of a grab bag of players that we want to talk about interesting interesting guys kind of on both ends right now you know guys who are performing well we want to Kind of see how real it is, and and some guys who are struggling too, and really just curious your thoughts. Um, really, it's mostly positive today, but there's a couple guys, one pitcher in particular, and then another guy who started off hot, who's who's really kind of cooled down. And I just want to get your thoughts on what you're doing with these two guys, particularly in the shallower leagues, I'm talking 10, 12 team mixers, um, if you're hanging on or not. But uh, we're going to start on the positive end about a guy that you're you're going to be writing about or you've written about, but I think it'll go up tomorrow, and that's Taiwan Walker. And he's in the midst of, of a nice season so far. I think that when you look at what happened to him last year, the, the terrible start that he had, I think really overshadowed everything for him. The fact that he had a pretty good summer, he still had some bumps in the summer, but it was, it was, I think like a seven and a half or even higher ERA through his first nine starts. And he could never really outrun that for the bottom line for Taiwan Walker. Uh, and so far this year, it's been going pretty well. Now there was a neck spasm issue in his last start, but it's not expected to be an issue for him going forward. He thinks he's, he's confident he'll make his next start. He did play catch yesterday. Everything's supposed to be fine. So we're not necessarily concerned to that end right now. Uh, we're looking more at Taiwan Walker, what he's done this year and how legitimate it is. Obviously a 197 ERA 103 whip, not certain that those are going to last at that level. But we're looking at a guy who last year had, you know, a solid strikeout rate, an excellent walk rate, 
and now this year has uh, equaled those and actually bettered the walk rate a, a good bit and added a 51% ground ball rate to the mix. So things look good for Taiwan Walker. He's only 23 years old. Expectations have been high for a while, but we're talking about a guy who's got just over 250 innings. So I think he's almost ahead of schedule at this point. Where do you stand with Taiwan Walker right now, and what what were your findings that you uh, wrote about that will go up tomorrow? You know, I think it's a little bit about – I mean, really it's about command because I think if you look at his history, he's always had great strikeout rates. He has great stuff good velocity, really good, you know, bendy pitches, um, decent swing strike rates, good strikeout rates. But his walk rates and his home run rates have been sort of the, the problem. They've kind of oscillated between being the problem. And that's, a, that's to me, is a command problem. I think also if you watch him, you, you notice there's a little bit of a command problem. But, you know, if you're faced with a command problem, what do you do? There's, there's only a few things. I mean, either you just keep at it until, you know, something clicks with mechanically, so you change something mechanically. You change your spot on the rubber, which is kind of the Carlos Rodon situation, um, or you change your pitching mix. And in his case, he changed his pitching mix. He started throwing his curveball in uh, earlier in counts, and I think it's basically the Erasmo Ramirez fix, where he's stealing just enough strikes with the curveball and showing them this pitch in situations where they're not necessarily going to swing at his third best pitch. Uh, you know, in, in zero, zero counts, people don't, don't swing as much and they don't swing at curveballs as much. So here's this curve a ball that they're not, you know, predisposed to swinging at coming in a strike swing in a uh, fastball count. They're going to not swing at it. And uh, he's throwing him in the zone more often. So he's basically just swinging. He's stealing strikes. And by stealing strikes, he's got that walk rate down really low. And even if that walk rate goes back to normal, he could still steal strikes and have it affect his home run rate because he's not getting into the bad counts where he has to try and you know throw the fastball in the zone by them, and which I think that's when he gets into the home run problem. Exactly. Home runs were a big issue for Walker last year. He just gets stuck in situations where he basically had to lay it in there. And as we've said a million times on this show, 95, you know, if they know it's coming, most major league hitters can turn it around. And he had a couple multi-homer games in those runs. And, and seemingly a, 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 a homer per game was, was at least the issue for him. This year it's down to .84 homers per nine. Uh, solid rate from what we've seen. You know, it was at .5 in, in, in 2014, but that was 38 innings, five starts, three relief appearances. Not too much to go off of. This is only 32 innings, but at least it's six starts. And again, last year, as the season kind of wrapped up, we started to see a little bit of it with the, with the command kind of coming together for Taiwan Walker. One question I have is that, you know, the the, the, the strikeout rate is not bad. 8.2 for his career, um, pretty much right right in line with that each of the last three seasons. And last year was his only full season. He's at 8.3. Is there room for growth there? Because he does have the electric stuff, but it, it's not getting the super gaudy strikeout rate, just a solid usable strikeout rate. You think there's more for Taiwan Walker? Or is this about what we'll see in that eight mark? You know, he's he's been so stable there. It's hard to sort of call for much more growth. I mean, he he did whoop up on the minor leaguers. But oh yeah, he had huge double digit numbers. Ninety three with a splitter, you know, is is definitely going to be tough on them. You know, actually, I think I could see it because you know he's he's been fairly steady with the twenty percent splitters, but if he really consistently you know got into good counts early. And started throwing the splitter, you know, not, I don't know, it doesn't have to go all full Eovaldi, but, 
you know, if he goes to 25, 30%, those are whiffs. I mean, the, the splitter has the best whiff rate of any pitch type. So, mm-hmm. uh, that is good. Whiffs and strikeouts. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just about him, you know, getting into those good counts. And maybe that's his next wrinkle is, you know, is that. He also said, you know, in terms of, you know, looking for growth from him, he said that the cutter that he throws is not a cutter. It, he's always wants he wants it to be a slider. He's always been trying to get more slider type movement out of it. And he says he's getting that slider movement in bullpens, but he can't quite make it happen in in, uh, in game yet. So, you know, if he does finally get happy with that with that slider, then you know, then he'd be you know four pitch guy. Even you know to throw the sinkers every once in a while. So, uh, you know, four or five pitch guy. Okay. And with an idea of like you know how to sequence them better. Well, that's so the thing I, too. I, I think he's learning the craft, and that's where I could see some some growth for Taiwan Walker as as he kind of. Exactly. Learns how to get better at, at actual pitching. I mean, stealing strikes is something that Erasmo Ramirez had to leave Seattle to figure out. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's already a good thing. And then Erasmo Ramirez, a guy we liked forever, uh, lost that 94 by the time he was useful. So, in a way, you're looking at a guy that had some things in common with Erasmo Ramirez, but a better fastball, you know, and probably, a be- you know, I, Erasmo's change is really good. It's just a regular circle, but it's really good. So, you know, something's in common with Erasmo, and yet, you know, more velocity, you know, more upside, more pedigree, um, and, and he turned that light on, you know? So I I, uh, I really like the steamer at the very least, 363 uh, ERA, 120 whip, 8.4 strikeouts per nine. That's, that's I think, completely attainable. There's nothing nothing uh, bad about that, and I think there's a slight, slight bit of upside beyond that where... Maybe he doesn't give up a full home run for nine going forward. Maybe he sticks where he is right now. I mean, he well, is heck. Seattle. You yeah, know? you know, and you look, honestly, I, I don't know if the next spasms played a role, but he gave up two of his three homers this year in those two innings at Houston in that start mm-hmm. there. So t- to that point, he'd given up one homer in 30 innings. So it, it had been much better even, and still .84 is, is, is a workable number with everything else that Taiwan Walker does. So we're pro Taiwan Walker for sure, and, you know, I'm I'm always looking if if it's somebody you like and I kind of believe what they're saying you know that's not going to be an issue he's going to make his next start maybe inquire right now somebody who's maybe ready to to trade him off again not at any sort of major discount because he is pitching well and all the news <laughs> we've is seen good. some weird things turn into TJ this year I mean that's that true Garrett fatigue thing. Jesus unbelievable Garrett Are you Richards kidding me? that <sighs> he has the flu in his arm unbelievable. Uh, what did they say? They said it was. Uh, they said it was a uh, fatigue. Yeah. Oh man. That, that, came that out one enough. stings. I mean, yeah. I just I had such high hopes for Garrett Richards this year. I love watching him pitch, and now it's Tommy John, and it's God. It, it's obviously mid next year at the earliest that we're you know late next year. I think that we're really talking about Garrett Richards. So for me, he's off my fantasy radar until eighteen, and I just hope that he can. I hope that he can get back and probably a bit of a death blow for the angels when you're talking about their, their chances to contend because they were 13 and 18 with him. What are they going to be without him? And then Angleton Simmons, uh, what, what is it? A thumb or, or yeah. wrist yesterday, something. So eesh, things are not going well for the angels right now. And the, the last thing they needed was to lose their ACE. And it's not like they're, they've got a lot of depth coming up. I mean, that, that means Trapiano is, is up here for good. That's one silver lining to it, at least in terms of, uh, you know, if you were worried about him losing a spot at any point, he, he's going to get his leash, you know, and if Trapiano continues to, to pitch 
adequately to well uh, to, to pretty well, which is what he was he's shown that he can do, then he, there's you no reason to take him down. A little bit of the Erasmo Ramirez situation where, you know, he obviously has some good stuff that can get whiffs, um, Tropiano, but you know, he's dancing around the fact he doesn't have a great fastball. Exactly. And we're seeing that a lot, you know, and this is something that you've honed in on, you know, all I mean, throughout the, last because year. Because those are the guys that are undervalued by scouts, undervalued by teams. They're the easiest to acquire in trades. And, you know, they're they're the most fun, really, honestly. I mean, Undervalued by fantasy folks by extension. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to try and buy Taiwan Walker when he back. Do you remember when, when Taiwan Walker was a prospect? It was he was hot. Oh, you couldn't no no way you're getting him off of people's teams when he was a prospect with everything to dream on, and then right. even his first little debut went pretty well. So you know even though it was only 15 innings, he's gonna be 21, and then even again after the after that season, the, those 38 innings, the stock has been high. It only really came down a little bit last year, and this year you know you could get him in the draft without paying an arm and a leg, but now that he's performing well. Like I said, if you get a shred of a discount, maybe. I, I'm not even trying to imply that the neck thing is going to build in some sort of massive discount because Taiwan Walker's been a favorite for a long time as a prospect. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, I go shopping. I go shopping in the bar- bargain bin all the time for pitching, and and uh, you know, so Tropiano is, is an archetype. It, it doesn't all. It doesn't always work out. It's the sort of Dan Straley, uh, Chase Whitley, um, Adam Warren. Uh, even Corey Rasmus, if he gets some starts, he's in this bucket. Not mm-hmm. a great fastball, great secondary stuff. I had some hopes uh, for him last year, actually, and I never really got a chance yeah. to start. I'd like to see. I mean, they they don't have anybody. So but yeah, who are they even going to use? Yeah, if they stretch him out deep league, maybe he's consistently um, gotten whiffs, and now it's been yeah. mostly in relief for Corey Rasmus. But I know the numbers aren't great, but the whiffs are always there at twelve percent career swinging strike rate in one hundred fifteen innings. Yeah, and then then there's the other bucket, which is you know uh, the Jorge Lopez bucket. Jorge Lopez, 95, 96 miles an hour, trying to figure everything else out. Uh, Garrett Richards himself was in that bucket. He definitely you know? was. And uh, and uh, it's harder for me to rattle that one off because usually velocity means you're a good prospect, but um, you know there are there are guys out there that just figure out. Ivaldi, you know, was a guy that yeah, he's in that camp. He that could velocity. throw a hundred, but nothing yeah. else would go right. Yeah, and look at him, finally, you know, years and years later, right before he becomes a free agent. Who would have thought it? <laughs> Perfect timing as far as he's concerned. Uh, <laughs> this next guy is in, in an interesting bucket and probably part of an undervalued sect as well, but also one that's very difficult to trust or believe in. That's the knuckleball crew. That's the Stephen Wright that we're talking about. Yeah. Huge night last night. Throws uh, almost, had a, almost had a shutout. I think he gave it up in the ninth inning. But he's been lights out for them. He's really gotten some some Tim Wakefield look to him this year, right down to the fact that he looks a lot older than 31. No offense, Steven. I'm just saying, dude. Just saying. <laughs> but uh, he's been awesome. He's he's really been awesome for them. He's never necessarily been bad. You know, coming into the year with with, with kind of a tiny sample, 107 innings spread out over three years. He had a 395 and a 131 WHIP. That's kind of knuckleball-y. You know, you, you could probably go through those uh, the, the game logs there. You'd see some good starts. You'd see some really ugly ones, some decent relief appearances, and some bad ones. Just kind of that up-and-down knuckleball kind of feel to it. But this year so far, six starts in, 
he's been awesome. He's been he's been kind of you know the the good end of R.A. Dickey, the good end of Tim Wakefield. Just just another one of these guys. He's got it dancing right now, and it is working. He's yet to give up two earned, more than two earned runs in any of his outings. He's gone into the seventh in all but two of those outings. He still finished six in both of those. So we're talking about six quality starts, super quality starts, if you want to say, because none of them have been the the six and three that you need that you need just for the baseline. 38 strikeouts. Now the walks are a little bit high at 16. That's going to just be something that you have to expect and and endure with a with a knuckleball. But the hits all the way down at 5.4 hits per nine definitely offsets that and gives him a .99 WHIP uh, with to go with his 152 ERA. He's a 31 year old knuckleballer is Stephen Wright. Obviously, people are going to be slow to buy in. Even he's for ESPN. He's 10th ranked starter. He's the 10th ranked starter. And he's only 45% on. That just tells you. The, the way people react to knuckleballers. They, they really need to see it. Even at, e, at CBS, which caters to deeper leagues, still only 77% ownership rate be, because everyone's just kind of waiting for the, the bottom to fall out. Are you seeing anything here that's bankable or is this just a hot run with a, with a knuckleball that you kind of ride until, until you can't? Honestly, this is really hard. It's because... so hard. That's why I want you to do it. I don't want to have to make the answers. <laughs> because none of my traditional go-to's works here exactly no, you know and at the, even he knuckleballs are so weird that they even break the idea of average because like you know i can at least say when i'm looking at a sinker oh you know the average sinker does this so this this sinker drops a lot you know if you look at zach Britton and sam dyson sinker it drops a ton more and it, it goes 96 miles an hour that's why that's one of the reasons why it's so great um, and I can say that because we've done some research on, you know, what makes a slider good and what makes a curveball good and what makes a changeup good. The only thing I've ever done that uh, seen anything about with knucklers is that harder knucklers do better. And that was a bigger deal uh, for R.A. Dickey, who started to lose his good fastball in that he lost the top end velocity on his on his knuckler. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> you know, there's nothing like that going on with Stephen Wright. I, I've been slicing it every way that I can, trying to find to see if his max speed went up or his average speed went up or if anything went up there or any movement changes. But even the movement change doesn't work because the average knuckler, especially Stephen Wright's, goes 0-0 because that's the spinless ball. You know, the, the so theoretical tough. idea of 0-0 is the spinless ball, except that's average. That doesn't mean that his most of his pitches go that way. It means that Sometimes it goes four inches that way. Sometimes it goes four inches down. Sometimes mm-hmm. it goes four inches that way. And um, so they all sort of cancel each other out. And yes, he's being better this year. I can't tell you why. And I don't know if it's going to keep going. Like, I, I'm honestly, I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. The, the swing strike rate, 41 innings in. And uh, 662 pitches in, that makes me want to go just old school and say, he's seen 660 batters. He's got nearly 12% of them to whiff um, on, on the – he's thrown 660 pitches. He's got nearly 20, 12% whiffs on those. That's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, a, and up from, from about 9% uh, career to date coming into this year for Stephen Wright. So – I'm with you. My hands are kind of up, and that's why I really do think it is just kind of ride it till you can't. And you, you, maybe, you, maybe you see that first big outing. That's the thing. The worst thing too with knuckleballers is one outing 
can really flip it. Like oh, he, man. he could go one inning, seven earned in the blink of an eye and erase so much of the good. And you're like, why did I pick this guy up? Especially because there's very little chance, even if you're in an AL only, there's very little chance that anybody's gotten all six of these starts. There, yeah. I just I can't even envision it. You just got our email for for a score sheet, and they there's a report in it that says most unused innings. And guess who's on? Uh, is he? He's got to be up the top. Number one in a 12 team American League only. And that makes but total sense. Back to that swing strike rate. It's here are the guys three above and three below Stephen Wright. Zach Greinke, Matt Moore, Vince Velasquez above. Wade Miley, Madison Bumgarner, and Jeremy Hellickson below. Now, yes, Hellickson and Miley make you say, oh, but you know what? That's Number 17 through 23 in baseball at swinging strike rates mm-hmm. amongst, among starting pitchers. So, you know, it's it's pretty good. You know, it, it's, it really uh, is. I mean, I don't know that I'd go. I don't know in 12 and and below. Like you're just you're protect. You'd really just those big blowups are a big deal, and you just can't. I don't think you can risk it. I mean, I think I would be really afraid. And the and the projections are so sober. The four three nine ERA. And the one three six uh, whip, those are so boring and bad for twelve team that you just, you know, the middle of the road solution is not good. But like in American League only, like the the middle of the road solution there is at least like your worst starter. Yeah, and so you can kind of, I mean, you can kind of take that risk. Yeah, and obviously he's, he's gone beyond that. I mean, there's more blowups in American League only because you know crappier pitchers are on. It, yeah, it's it's the AL. So I mean. Just write it till you can't. If if you first, by the way, if you've had him for every start, email us sleeperpot at gmail.com. Tell us why. First <laughs> off, tell us why. What you made you stones. take? <laughs> yes. What made you have the stones to take him in the AL draft? Because that's when you would have had or or picked him up first week, I guess, because he started his first start was April 10th. So you could have picked him up first week. Let us know the scenario. Maybe you lost a couple guys and you just say, you know what? I'll take a shot here. Lost your mind. (laughs) Plus, yeah, you would have had to lose your mind because his first two starts were against Toronto. So you're the craziest person alive, and we want to hear from you. So sleeperpod at gmail.com if you had Stephen Wright from the jump, but also congrats. We're really close, actually, to uh, strikeout rate for pitchers um, stabilizing. Stabilizing. I know. I and everything's so good, but I, I don't even know that Stephen Wright could tell you what works. I think um, even in the post game interview no yesterday, there's no on the rubber. There's nothing. No, and he, he's, no I think he said change. yesterday that in the bullpen he's like, ah, I threw like ten bad ones, a couple good ones, and then went out there, something like that. He was, he didn't even know, you know, that he was going to be on at that given day to go nine and and basically carry a one hitter pretty much until the very end when he gave up, I think, a Brett Gardner homer. So luck to us. Exactly. If if he doesn't know what's going on, how the heck are we going to do? And Honestly, this next one, I kind of throw up my hands because this was a guy I really liked. and But the guy that I studied in the winter is not the guy that's been on the mound when I'm talking about Shelby Miller. However, Craig Edwards did some of the work for us, and, and he investigated. Now, um, that piece is up on the front page. What did Craig see from from Shelby Miller, and what have you seen from Shelby Miller? I know we, we you know we talked about it with the the knuckle scraping, uh, with his mechanics. Everything's just kind of off right now. It's so bad. His walks are higher than his strikeouts, and it's because he's uh, you know six point four walks right now against six point one strikeouts per nine. That's so bad. Two point two homers. Everything is an utter mess. What's going on with Shelby Miller? You know what I think is going on with Shelby Miller. This is. This is playing off of what Craig Edwards found. I think what's going on with Shelby Miller is what happened with Chris Tillman last year. So I think that 
throwing a two-seamer and a rising fastball at the same time, it's a very rare thing. I mean, the rising fastball itself is, is slightly rare, but it's very rare to throw, you know, a nice sinker and a nice riding four-seamer. You know, people tend towards one or the other, and it has a lot to do with your arm slot. If you've got a nice, you know, two-thirds sort of slinging arm slot, you throw a sinker, and it has a lot of movement, arm side run and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're more over the top, then you throw more of a four-seam, and you get that Eovaldi Gaussman, you know, rise. But uh, and the thing that's going on with Miller, we must have we must have known this. And I and I thought I, I was thinking of this sort of it's to- totally intuitive. The fact that he's scraping his knuckles on the ground means that he's going more over the top. That makes sense because yeah. the more over the top you are, the more everything comes straight down, and your arm doesn't avoid the ground. It goes like straight into the ground. So that's what he's doing. He's going more over the top, and so. I'm not surprised at all that he's lost his sinker because, you know, the the more over top you go, the more you get rise instead of sink. So what he's found himself is with mechanics that suggest he should be riding four seam, uh, cutter, and uh, he, if he can throw that splitter effectively, throw that splitter. It'll work with a four seam, and and that curveball, and just and just not throw the sinker. I think that's what his mechanics are telling him. And he either has to go back to his old mechanics to find, you know, why he was going over the top like that, or uh, you know, scrap the sinker completely and and sort of rethink the way he's pitching. Um, and obviously, that's I think that's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. I mean, we I was excited for Chris Tillman when a couple of starts went well for him, but the year as a whole was bad for Chris Tillman last year. Oh, it it and, really was. I mean, he's off, he's know, off to a good start this year, at least. And I think now, I think with Chris Tillman now, I think that good start we're seeing is 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 the result of him sort of doubling down. Yes, there's definitely some extra velocity that helps him. Mm-hmm. But you know, on top of that extra velocity, it's you know he's he's throwing both the sinker and the rise ball, and um, you know it's it's working for him. And I think it just took him. An off season, honestly, an off season. And that's what that's what a lot of these guys tell me is that when the big changes uh, that they have to make, those have to come in the off season. Can we move up the off season for Shelby Miller to, uh, <laughs> yeah. right now? I mean, you Any know, chance? the the best case scenario I think for for Miller right now would be uh, a Elston. Right, and I, I'm honestly surprised that he hasn't had one of those made up ones yet. You know, yeah, where... they, they could have even just said bruised knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because he did really scrape the hell out of his hand pretty badly uh, yeah. with that start in San Francisco. I'd never seen anything like that, to be honest. Yeah, and I I think just reading between the lines, the the, the all the stuff that's going on is too much. Here's I've the already thing. I've already dropped a, a couple shares. So have I. Not really buying. I will say though, if you were out on Shelby Miller coming into the year and you saw this coming. You're a genius because there's <laughs> no way that you saw this kind of collapse coming. You might not have liked him. That's fine. But if – I mean I, I don't know. I'd just say easy on the back padding with, with the – like he he fell apart and that's what pitchers can – that happens with pitching. That's why it is so difficult. But I don't know if anyone was calling that. I, I, did, I did wonder if like guys going to new new teams, like we always think of it as like a possible new thing, like a possible good thing for a pitcher. A rebirth oh, of sorts. You know, especially like Ray Searage will fix him, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the park will know, fix him. Sometimes they break. Yep. Because of you know, because if you look at where he's standing on the rubber, he changed completely. He moved he moved six inches on the rubber. Now somebody told him to do that, I think. I, I would be surprised if it wasn't. 
you know, I, that, has, I mean, that probably has to have something to do with his command. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what that's what I hear from guys is that moving on the on the rubber is a big is a big deal for command. So he's moving left and right on the rubber. He's moving up and down this release point. He's trying to find it. And who knows what the chicken and egg situation was? Sure. If, you know, maybe he came in with slightly reduced velocity and it wasn't working as well. So then he turned to his new pitching coach, and his new pitching coach gave him new ideas, which all were stinky. Mm-hmm. And you know. He's probably not throwing that guy. I don't know who their pitch coach is. It's not yeah, Mike Harkey yeah, anymore, but you're not going to throw him under the bus and say, "Oh, it's all on him." Right. Like most guys, that he's going to say, "Oh, it's on me. I got, I got to be better, yeah. et cetera, et cetera." So I agree with you. I think honestly that what he really needs right now is, is a DL stint, made up or otherwise. He's got to get, he's got to get his head right. It's not working out for Shelby Miller right now. I understand if you cut him in every single league format at this point, I would have no problem doing that, even a deep NL only which I did cut him in one, and it was tough to pull the trigger. I spent 18 bucks on him, but such is life. I can't keep taking those major L's on, on my record. My, my, my pitching is bad. Plus, I lost Russell Iglesias that same week, so not good. But uh, nobody really cares about that. I, next, I, I want to move to the positive end again with, the, with a few hitters that we got to talk about, including Josh Reddick, who is absolutely on fire right now. Actually has hits in each of his last eight at-bats, and if he gets another one to open the game tonight, he'll set a new Oakland franchise record. But he's also got four multi-hit games in a row, two, three, four, and three. He loved going to Baltimore. Three of those were in Baltimore, um, and he hit three, four, and three in Baltimore. Josh Reddick is somebody I've always I've always liked. I just I like his game, but you know, health has been an issue at times. He's kind of been up and down since that big breakout 2012. That's now that's now several years ago. Three full seasons. Obviously, this is the fourth season since he had that 32 homer uh, bust out in 2012. But he was really good last year. I think kind of under the radar. 20 homers, 10 stolen bases with a 272 average. That's really useful in, in today's offensive environment. And he's on track to obviously obliterate those numbers this year. But it's only 31 games. Four homers, two stolen bases. The average way up to 319. Honestly, I feel like his offensive line, you can look at it as a health meter for him. I really do feel that way because he does play so hard defensively and does get nicked uh, relatively often that when Josh Reddick is healthy, he can rake, and he's raking right now. Where are you with that with the 29-year-old Josh Reddick out in Oakland? Dude. Dude. Dude, you're on to something. Remember, remember the mustache scouting? <laughs> yes. Derek Holland? Yes. Dude, that worked, by the way. Th- this is this is something. If you do some mustache must mustache scouting on that's pretty kind of hard, kind of hard to say. If you do mustache scout scouting on Josh Reddick, you will learn one thing. Dude changes all the time. He's always looking for what's going to work with his facial hair. And he just yeah, and he's <laughs> willing to make radical changes. He has been full beard. Mm-hmm. He's He's had the little pencil beard around the sides. He's had, you know, straight out of Deep South mustache. When he was on MLB a couple weeks back, he was clean shaven. Maybe he wanted to be clean shaven for television. Goatees. Yep. Uh, you know, done his hair differently. I mean, I have a post on the now defunct, sadly, um, not grass. Not that grass. was just so the many funny. faces of, of uh, Josh Reddick. That's really <laughs> That's funny. Right. Anyway, uh, so it it is kind of interesting because if you look at his swing plane, so he changed. Uh, I think last year the big change was that he just started spitting on the outside corner, just not swinging at it, and that led to the best swing strike rate, the best uh, strikeout rate of his career, and he still had decent power. 
So he added all up to the best uh, overall year of his career with the VAT, especially uh, interesting compared to the fact that he hit 32 in, in home runs in 2012. But that was a different Josh Reddick. That was all fly balls mm-hmm. and tons of strikeouts, worst swing strike rate of his career. Yeah, just, and ha- just going for it. Just going for it. And the guy who hit uh, .59 grounders per fly ball. Now, four years, five years later, he's hitting 1.68 ground balls per fly ball, and he's spitting on everything, and he's got you know 50% lower swing strike rate and a, and a great strikeout rate. So now he's a 300-hitting 20-home run guy, or, you know, yeah, I would say I would call him that. Maybe, yeah. even, maybe even he could up 10 steals. I mean, he's still a, he's still a fast guy. And, uh, and this is the bet. This is the better Josh Reddick. I mean, this is in terms of at least in terms of um, real life. In terms of fantasy, you might want thirty-two homers and eleven steals back. But you know, this is a but, fun Josh Reddick to have, really. But but, it, but if he can keep the average up, and by the way, I said he's on pace to obliterate those numbers. I'm still thinking that we're in April. We're in May now. Four homers and two stolen bases right now is about a 2010 pace. But if yeah. the, if the 319 average can can hold um, any of it you know if he can hold some of this up to up in the 300s uh up from that 272 last year he's an even better player obviously and i don't know as much as 32 homers is nice we saw a bit of a power surge across the league last year so maybe i would trade those 10 or 12 of those homers for you know 60 70 points of batting average compared to that 242 average from 2012 with josh reddick and by the way i went and found your post and it's hilarious and i almost wish that not graphs would come back just so you could update it with all of his oakland stuff because this was yeah. all just in boston, <laughs> yeah, it was and all boston. there was he was tons. like a part-time player before <laughs> yeah maybe he was just trying to make his mark but now as a full-time player you know he had the careless whisper walk-up music he's just a really interesting guy he's a really funny guy he's a huge 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 wrestling fan too which I only know from seeing him on MLB Network. I'm not actually a wrestling guy myself, but uh, if you are, then Josh Reddick should be one of your favorite players. So I'm I'm buying here. Like I, I was kind of buying coming into the year at, on at least the 2010-270. I'll buy that that he can hold some of these average gains as well um, and, and give you the, the nice power speed combo. I'm a, I'm a sucker for guys who can do a little bit of both. And, and 2010 is, is definitely useful. So I wouldn't necessarily be looking to sell. Even if he comes back down to 272 uh, area, I think that's still plenty useful. Um, so that's Josh Reddick. Next guy, I'm buying even harder. I, I love this guy. And you turned me on to this guy last year. We talked a lot, a lot about him on the podcast multiple times with regards to the swing changes that he was making, kind of the breakout that he was having. There's only 252, uh, 256 plate appearances, so I think a full season of it this year would qualify as, a, as a more of a true breakout. But it was so different last year for Steven Piscotti to come up and hit seven home runs based on what his minor league profile was that I think everyone was kind of surprised what's going on with this guy. A 24-year-old, did the Cardinals do it again with you know something of a late bloomer? Just because we see so many guys come up in their lower 20s a 24-year-old guy as a rookie didn't catch as many eyes, and I, I couldn't get enough stock of this guy this year. I love what Stephen Piscotti's doing, and he's 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 doing even more of what he did last year. 323, 382, 532, triple slash right now with a 210 ISO. He's already got five homers and two stolen bases. So again, that's pacing to about 25 and 10. Love the batting average. I totally believe in that aspect of it. I know this is a guy that you've studied, you've, you've been very familiar with as a, as a Stanford alum yourself. Tell us more about Stephen Piscotti. I mean, obviously, we feel like this is real, but what's the ceiling here? 
Well, I think he's pretty close to his ceiling. I mean, that's the that's the the genius with the Cardinals is, you know, get, get guys, guys right at ceiling, and, you know, and then and and don't let them debut until they're right by their ceiling. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think that they're going to get his best years, and um, at some point he's going to become overrated, and and you know we'll have to have a, a podcast about that. But <laughs> you know, there were there was some worry early on in the season his. IFFB percentage, uh, infield fly ball percentage was up, um, and uh, and people thought that was uh, going to be a problem. But it, it's really important to, to look at the next column over fly ball percentage because his fly ball percentage is actually pretty low, and so you know multi- you have to multiply those two together to really get a good sense of pop up percentage, which mm-hmm. is the better stickier thing, and. Uh, it's not such a great example anymore because his IFFB percentage doesn't look like a problem. But if you uh, if you multiply those two together, uh, you get 2.1% pop-up percentage, and the league average is 3.6. So he actually has uh, uh, he's, he has a skill there where he doesn't hit pop-ups. So it's half the league right there uh, yeah. for Stephen Buscati. What about the the sharp change in spray this year? Last year he was almost like almost a 33 33 33 kind of guy, uh, pretty darn close. A little bit more on the pull and oppo than than the center with a 31 percent up the middle. But this year it's 46 34 20 pull center oppo for Piscotti. What, what do you what do you make there? Well, you know, one thing that happens is people make you uh, cover different parts of the plate. So I would just I would assume that he's not necessarily looking to pull. Uh, but that, um, well, that's interesting. They're actually pitching him this year. They're pitching him, uh, further off the, further off the inside part of the plate. Um, so maybe he was always a, maybe he is a a pull hitter. I don't know. That one's, uh, that one's interesting. I was going to say that, oh, they're probably just trying to bust him inside because they see that he can, he likes extension. He likes to, he likes to extend on the ball. So, I mean, I, I still assume that on some level there is some of that cat and mouse being played. Um, and when, uh, when does that start to stabilize? By the way, a, a, a hit profile. Really quickly. Okay. Really quickly, but you know, sometimes stabilization is not really the best way to think about things because sta- the exit velocity on pitching on pitchers uh, stabilizes really quickly, but then sort of gets worse and less predictive as the season goes on. And I think that's because a pitcher can be like, "Hey, I'm throwing the cutter more now." Yeah, so you almost got to look at it in chunks. Okay, that was stable for what it was, and now there's a change. Right. So he's he's pulling the ball because he's he's seeing at least enough uh, enough pitches that he can pull. You know, if they keep going out there, then he can. I mean, he's shown it with its within himself to to have a a a plus opposite field percentage. Okay. So, uh, like, I definitely, if he was a a real big pull guy last year, I would actually be more worried about it because then. He would be settling as the pull guy, but even a righty pull guy is not as dangerous as a lefty pull guy. It's a little bit harder to platoon uh, to uh, to um, to to uh, uh, shift them the same way. Mm-hmm. You can't get four defenders in the uh, in the left, you know, between shortstop and third the way you can uh, against a, a lefty pull hitter because someone has to stand by first base. Exactly. So, so you, can you know, do so much on the shifting, right? So you know, yeah, he's a pull hitter, but he gets the ball in the air enough, and 
He does not hit infield fly balls, and he hits the ball hard, and uh, he doesn't strike out too much, so it's not like he's going to you know, suffer there. So, you know, I believe all these projections that happen with the 280, you know, batting average, I'll take the 280 batting average and I'll take the over. I, I mean, he's had a 200 ISO now for 700 plate appearances. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, 800, 800 plate appearances. And that coincided with him telling me that he'd made a swing change. So exactly. Cause this, this was something that you honed in on in the minors last year. So when he came up and, and, and performed at, at the level that he did, it almost wasn't surprising to you, at least, even though it, he was kind of taking the league by storm for Piscotti. So, you know, this this goes this isn't just new to the majors. This was a change from 14 to 15 that he made in triple A and, and Piscotti's carried it over into the majors. And it's just it's been really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I call him uh, true talent, 280, like 25 home run guy. OK, that's you know, super useful. Yeah, and the the Cardinals by base runs at least are are a decent offense. So you know should Especially come against with, righties. Yeah, it should come with good runs in RBI, and uh, it doesn't seem like they're really platooning him uh, that heavily. He seems like one of the few people that actually has a, a full time role on that team. So I, I, he hits righties pretty well, at least from from what I've seen. But you have to. I mean, if you're coming up as a righty, if 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 you like, if they haven't put that you know that that platoon bat roll that 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 scarlet letter on your head then uh then you're probably okay yeah and i think he's got and i think his first 400 ish plate appearances in the majors have at least earned him leash if there were any concerns of that too because he has raked righties but i think even coming up through the minors it was clear that he's going to be somebody Stephen piscotti is who can maintain both sides of the plate won't have to be a platoon player so still buying there very interested in him i like his game and i agree with you when when the cardinals bring somebody up it's usually ready to be at peak, so I don't even know that we have to worry about too much of a fall-off from Piscotti. Now let's do an update on, on a couple guys that we talked about earlier. They were, they were kind of two of the darlings of the early part of the season back in, uh, back in April. It's Tyler White and Trevor Story. Now, one is maintained and the other's really kind of come back to earth. So we'll start with Tyler White. He's the guy who's kind of come back to earth uh, a pretty healthy bit through – through his first uh, 15 or so games, he was carrying an 11-11 OPS, you know, RBIs galore, five homers, which was surprising because power was supposed to be the thing that he didn't really have. And, and you know, he can take his walk, so he's going to have OBP. Doesn't usually strike out that much. But the weird thing was, even in the midst of that, of that excellent work, he was striking out a ton. He had a lot of multi-strikeout games. And again, that wasn't supposed to be part of of Tyler White's game. And now the strikeouts have really started to catch up to him in his last 14 games, 149, 196, 213. But interestingly, um, on the other end of that, the strikeouts have actually curbed. So the strikeouts were there when he was excelling and now they're, they're lower. He's at 18% over these last 51 plate appearances. I mean, we're parsing an already small sample, so it's tough to make sharp judgments, but they just, they counterbalance so much from an 11-24 OPS in his first 15 games. I said 11-11 earlier. That was through 14 games. So through 15 games, 11-24, and then 409 in his last 14 games. So obviously he's somewhere in between, but where in that in-between measure is Tyler White? I'm, you know, these guys talk to me, right? And so I, I did a piece about Tyler White for ESPN and, he told me the whole story, and I believe it. So I'm just going to pass on 
his story of what's happening. Okay. And his story of what's happening is that he has an uppercut swing. If you look at exit velocity, launch angles, he's a, he's a guy that's a leader when it comes to the ideal launch angle for home runs, 25 to 30 degrees, and, um, and 95 plus mile an hour uh, velocity, exit velocity. So, you know, he, he, he has that uppercut swing. He has the, the power swing. That's why Dan Farnsworth liked him. Uh, that's why uh, Dan Farnsworth put him as their number four prospect coming into the season. Everyone howled. And, uh, and that's why Tyler White has shown that five home run power. He's able to, to, to golf it. He can do that. Now, uh, if you look at his minor league walk rates, they were much more, um, they were about uh, higher, actually, than his strikeout rates. And they were double digits, almost 20% walk rates. So real patient guy in the minor leagues. But he knew that there would already be a book on him, and there already was, but the book got tougher after the first couple of weeks, which is that why throw a guy who can golf the ball a low fastball? Throw him high. So high and away is the big deal for him, and he knows it. It's sort of like the Brandon Moss hole. He knows that this hole's coming. Mm-hmm. So what did he spend all of his work in the Dominican Republic this week, this, this, this vacation, this offseason, and then uh, his spring doing? training to hit the high fastball. And what that did was uh, basically, and what he said was the way to train to do that is to be aggressive because you have to hit the ball out in front. You have to get your hands through the quickest and you have to be level and you have to get hit, get to the ball quicker. And um, so basically he became more aggressive in the spring because he was looking for that high fastball because he knew that would be the first book that came on it. So he was ready for that, and you know, once they really started started pumping the high fastballs in there, you know, he did struggle. It's not his best pitch. Brandon Moss will tell you it's not his best pitch. Really, he should lay off those more than not, more often than not. But hopefully, and I believe this, Tyler White trained for that and can at least cover that sometimes, you know, and and cover that when it's in the zone forcing them to come down to him in the zone because most pitchers have better command low in the zone. Mm-hmm. So I think that right now he's showing his more patient, more contact, uh, heavy, more I'm waiting for the ball low in the zone. I'm going to wait you out on this ball high in the zone. I'm going to you know, sort of return to my roots a little bit uh, and, and sort of wait till you guys to come back down to me. So I think that um, you know, there's a little bit of an adjustment risk here in that maybe he can't hit the high fastball. And that would mean that, uh, you know, we'd have to be a little bit more sober about our projections. But given that he spent all this time working working towards this and all this time thinking about it, I'm, I bought in. Like, I would buy now. I, I think that... You're ready to buy Tyler White because I guarantee you right now you're getting a discount. Obviously, way better compared to just two weeks ago. But I think that he's probably being on the fringe of getting cut in like a 12 team mixed league at this point. So you might not even have to pay for him, but in the AL only where he's obviously not going to get cut 15 team mix, not going to get cut. You're saying go out and buy Tyler white. I mean, I'm definitely buying uh, in AL only because I think that he's got enough skills. He, he survived. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't send him down. And And that, that was probably the biggest risk is that even a spell like this, only two weeks would be enough for them to say, Go get A.J. Reed. And we knew that when the Astros were bad, they cycled through people. They gave him 150 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. And we're at 108 right now for Tyler White. 
And just summing it all up, 15% better than league average with the bat. I think that's enough to, to survive uh, the defense. And what other move did they make? Evan Gaddis is catching. And they pushed him down to go work on catching again. Obviously, they're not going to have him reacquaint himself so, with it on the job. So that opened up a spot. That created it, that leash for Tyler White. DH. Yeah, exactly. So he Because even if Reed comes up and plays first because Tyler White's not a good defender, you still got DH for, for White. So uh, That's a I, huge move. Good, good, good call bringing that up. I had forgotten about that from over the weekend. I, think, I do think it's, it's actually sort of bad news for Gaddis because then he becomes like uh, – it's good news that he gets catcher eligibility, but it's bad news that – Playing time, increased injury risk. Yeah, and, 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 and got to focus on catching. Play, yeah, probably reduce playing time. Becomes that's, more what I, that's what I meant. Sorry, yeah, I, meant, I meant to say. Backup catcher, yes. who DHs. I mean, white, White's a righty, so, you know, maybe against tougher righties, they, they, they'll they throw uh, Gaddis in. But Gaddis is a righty, too. He's a righty himself, exactly. Yeah, so there's no good platoon issue at, 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 at uh, first, and then you have to start looking in the outfield for some at-bats against lefties, maybe, uh, for Evan Gaddis. Um and uh, it's not like he was playing well. He's not projectable because he was a late debut older guy. So, yeah, I mean, I think Tyler White uh, survived the, the – and, he, you know, he's even picked it up a couple hits in the last in the last couple games. Um, and I'd watch it. You know, in, in more like 15-team leagues, I mean, you have to look at the projections. You have to keep – the projections keep you sober. Uh, 260 batting average, 8 to 10 more homers. That's just not really – great uh for mixed leagues and even if you pump that up for playing time and say okay what what is tyler white going to do if he keeps the job all year and and basically has another 400 plate appearances you still you know the projections would still only say about 12 more homers so you're talking about like a 250 18 homer guy it's just not what 12 teamers are, are one on a corner at best in a 12 teamer yeah but like if you're poking around for offense and i and you know, I, I'm trying to you know, AL labor. I'm trying to figure it out. I, I just need like one more bat and one more arm, which of course is impossible because you have to have one <laughs> to or the get other. both. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You usually have to give from that one to get the other. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I can pry him loose, but I did have a deal on the table before Gossman came up. I had a deal on the table from Chris List. It was um, uh, what was it? It was Gossman. Oh, yeah, I can't remember that either. It was Gossman for Tyler White. But I had to give up uh, reserve. Oh, that's what it was. It was Gossman and uh, Max Kepler for Tyler White. And, you know, it's still, you know, it's not one of those trades that sounds ridiculous now. Even with Gossman playing well, you know, pitching well, it, it sort of stands the test of time because Tyler White is a bat who's playing right now in the major leagues with some success. And we don't and, know what Kepler is going to do, if anything. In a redraft. So, you know, uh, but Kepler at the time was up. And, you know, that was that week where it looked like he might actually play because Buxton was down and Kepler was up. Exactly. So, and it's so I, tough to I trade those guys. I'll put Kepler in Util and see what happens. And then I got a big fat zero because they sent Kepler down like a day later. Yeah, he, he, he barely was up and long enough to, to, to get a good meal yeah. at the majors. And I'm not going to lie, like, the way Gossman's pitching, I don't know if I can do the deal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairish deal, but... I mean, Gossman's looking more like the ace that I was hoping for. He's looking like the guy that we've been talking about for quite a while. Uh, right. Kevin so Gossman. We'll probably update him later this trade week. And then make uh, Trevor Bauer my, my third pitcher. 
I just I just don't know what to think about Bauer. So, um, but that's that's a positive outlook on, on Tyler White, and it's better than what I, I I wasn't sure if you were going to be positive on him. That's why I said we're starting on the negative end because he was in the midst of well, a pretty big slump. Yeah, I, I hate to be like you know taken by the the interview, but but I mean, no, he, that's that's something most that you the have support the story. He came up and they did pitch him down some, so he golfed those mofos out, and then they. They raised the heat map up, uh, and uh, he had a little bit of trouble. But it was the stuff that he was talking about. Like I had him uh, talking to Evan Drelick in in spring about the high fastball. So he knows he knows they were going to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. he was ready for it, and that to, that to me suggests a thinker, you know, that's that's ready, that's that's doing his best to get the most out of it, you know. Well, let's talk about Trevor's story then, because he's had kind of an interesting season <laughs> not too. Not a thinker, <laughs> and not necessarily. I, I'm going up there and That's I'm hacking. By the way, he just broke a, <laughs> a 24 game strikeout streak um, on the seventh, which was Saturday. Not strikeout? No, no, no. Uh, of striking out in every single game. He right. Ju- so he he had a game where he didn't strike oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, he did, and it, and he had six oh. at bats in it. Six. I know. I was about to say, did he come in as a? No, <laughs> it was a thirteen inning game, and and the Giants could not get him to strike out for six plate appearances, <laughs> which is crazy. Because but prior to that, in that twenty four game run, he struck out forty one out of one hundred and ten plate appearances. However, he was still putting up numbers, and that's the thing. Even when he went a little bit cold and 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 moved off of the one thousand. Uh, OPS realm, and it was only for four days that he did that. He got right back on track, even though the strikeouts have continued, and he's still he's still hitting. Now he is back in below that 1,000 realm, but he's at 962 overall right now. And even if you just kind of look at his his last 10 games, it's it's right there at 962 itself. So it matches his his uh, his season long kind of weirdly enough. But even with the strikeouts, and this is kind of what I've maintained since. We saw it. We know the strikeouts are there. I think that Coors will continue to protect the strikeouts. Now, interestingly, he's been on a big road streak, so it hasn't really been Coors that's been protecting it. He, he's hit 333, 404, 571 in this 10-game road streak with 12 uh, with, with 12 strikeouts and 47 plate appearances. But I think over the course of the year, that's one thing that I, I felt comfortable still buying high, if you will, on Trevor Story because – I just I don't know that he's going to get to maybe the, the the 220 that his strikeout rate might deserve because of course field and we look at him now 11 homers three triples five doubles so tons of extra base hits 46 strikeouts leads the National League who the hell has more somebody in the American League obviously um, who is that who can you even think of that off the top of your head who that might be oh oh sweet Justin Upton cool life um, oh no, it's Upton. <laughs> yeah, it, it's I just remember it's Upton. Thirty-seven percent strikeout rate and was, uh... how many total? Forty-seven total. So he has one more than Story. Those two are battling it out, but um, he doesn't have Coors to protect him, and so that's why Justin Upton's average is two thirty-five. But we're dealing with a guy now who you know I think people are still maybe looking to trade. And I'm still willing to buy because even with these strikeouts, he's shown that it, that it can work, that he can continue to mash for power. Like you said, not a huge thinker, just goes up there looking to, to rake. Where do you currently stand on Trevor Story now th- exactly 30 games into his major league career? Well, I actually talked to him on Friday, and I'm not, I'm not even sure there's a piece because I talked a lot, and he was like, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> I was like, Will you at least say it so that I can quote you saying what I said? No, no. you can say uh, what I said. Not, not that I would say that. Yeah, I mean, he he gave me all sorts of cliches and it was bull bull crap. But it might uh, do for better podcast material because I have the research and 
I find this super interesting. So I found an old piece by um, uh, Mike Newman. Sorry, Mike. Hey, I know uh, that guy. You're probably not listening, but uh, uh, I, I found an old piece by Mike Newman, and Mike Newman said that um, you know one of Trevor Story's adjustments to so so at some point everyone said okay this guy can mash the fastball so then they started give like a steady dose of breaking balls and off speed and Trevor Story's adjustment to that because Newman was saying uh, Story doesn't have great pitch recognition uh, his adjustment to that was just to basically shut it down and become more passive right. And I think that's when you saw a sort of jump in stories, uh, strikeout and walk rates, you know. And uh, and then, uh, you know, something weird happened in AAA last year in 2015. He became more aggressive and didn't walk as much, but also didn't strike out that much and retained his power. So, you know, there's definitely something there with the swing, don't swing choice with him and with the fastball off-speed mix, you know. And, and I think there's... There's two books on him. So basically, I split the season up into halves, and it's very similar to the same halves that that um, Jeff Sullivan wrote about, where he talked about inside versus outside, right? And he said in the first half, they actually pitched him some pitches inside. He pulled all of them and hit them all for home runs. And the second half of his sample, uh, they were pitching him away, and he was hitting some nice deep fly balls away, but not as much, uh, not as many homers. So Sullivan uh, focused on in and away. That's a that's a thing, but in those same samples, um, in the first in the first couple weeks, Story got 51.6 percent fastballs, and he swung 41 percent of the time. So that's a low amount of fastballs. So basically, the book on him was the same book on him as when he came up from the minor leagues. They said, send this guy bendy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So when he comes up, Story says, I'm not going to swing 41 percent of the time. I'm going to swing. That's league average. Now we know this guy can be aggressive. Guess what happens in the second half of the sample? 58% fastballs, uh, mostly probably sinkers away, right? And uh, he swings 47% of the time. So, you know, I don't think he's great at pitch recognition, but I do think he understands how he's being pitched. And I think that the, the and I think he's had to survive, you know, a couple different books being thrown at him over the course of his, of his minor league history. So I think he basically says, when I'm seeing fastballs, I hunt more. When I'm seeing breaking crap, I'm I'm uh, I'm more patient. Okay. And I think that's that says to me, maybe he doesn't have great innate pitch recognition, and maybe he's not the biggest thinker in the world, but he has at least developed two distinct approaches. Exactly. And with the inside outside, he has enough oppo power and course field that I think he'll he'll go oppo oppo taco a decent amount of time. So and we've seen it, and honestly, that wall has actually taken two or three. Uh, yeah, homers right. from him, which which is annoying if you have him because I mean they've turned into doubles and triples. He, he, those three triples lead the National League for Trevor Story, but that's a use that's a workable approach. I guess the real question because I think the power we've seen it. You know the projections all say 18, 16 to eighteen more homers, double digit extra uh, double digit stolen bases left in the projection as well. But where do you think the batting average is going to be with Trevor Story? Because that's obviously the ultimate deciders if he's going to be contending for the top shortstop in the majors for fantasy, or if he's going to be more top five, but not exactly that that super top guy. Because I, I think even if he's 25, 15, but 240, that's still a top five guy, right? 
Yeah, and he had enough. He has enough in the bank where it's not going to be two forty at the end of the year. Yeah, so, the, so 139 plate appearances of a two seventy two should protect him from something that devastating, right? Right. So I think by the end of the year, I mean worst case scenario, uh, two fifty five batting average means he's you know he hits like two forty five from here on out. He's already has eleven in the bank. Uh, it's not even halfway, so I'm going to go to 30 home runs. And uh, I, I don't know. The stolen bases, he's not really taking off a lot. Yeah, he's two for four. We've seen a few 20s in the past. We've seen plenty of, of double digits, 15, 15, 13. So, you know, we, we've seen it. Um, it's never been below double digits for a season in the minors for, for Trevor Story with the stolen That's bases. Right. So I think he'll get there, but – We've talked about this plenty in the past that they don't guys don't always run immediately. And right, two for I think four, it takes some, you, you don't want to be the rookie who runs into an out. I mean, that's probably the least favorite guy in the clubhouse. Exactly, so. you kill a rally doing something like that. They think you're a clown, even if you hit a two two run bomb. The you know a couple innings ago, they're like, come on, man, you snuffed that out. And he's two for four already. So it might be more of just getting over the double digits as opposed to pushing the twenty, which I think a lot of people thought he could do coming into the season. Yeah, and you know, for uh, for all of our you know worries about the um, Jose Reyes situation, those uh, seem to be resolving oh. in a pro story way. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a, another good thing that you meant uh, that you brought up that I forgot to mention is that uh, now there the the speculation uh, a report was it from Rosenthal? Um, I can't remember who it was from exactly. Oh, John Heyman, excuse me, MLB Network believes that it's going to be at least a sixty game suspension for Jose Reyes. And, and that decision is expected this week. Yeah, uh, right. And so some are speculating even 80. And I mean, it's unclear. If, I would guess that they give him time served. You know, I mean, sure. So that's a little bit rough to add the 80 on top of that. Then it's almost a full season. Yeah, because they give they give time served on a lot of these things. So, you know, he deserves to be punished severely, 100 percent. But. We see it often that you get time served when when you've already kind of kind of done this. So I agree. I think he, so. If it's the sixty, then it's thirty more games, just thereabouts. If it's the eighty, then we're looking at about fifty. But either way, that's still a half season, and by that point, I just don't. Yeah, I don't see them entrenched. Yeah, I don't see. I mean, they're not taking this guy out. They think he's the future, and he they, he's been on. And why know? wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Yeah. He's, he's played very well. And that Keystone, you know, they got they got DJ LeMahieu there, so I don't even know where the heck Jose Reyes will play when he comes back, if he even comes back with that team. Maybe they, maybe once that's settled with the with the suspension, they say, okay, now that we know, maybe, it, maybe they'll be able to trade him because that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, people know what they're getting. And- once it's locked in, okay, you're gonna have forty four more games without him. Team that we're talking to, we'll take this C minus prospect just to get rid of him. Have fun, bye. You know, I could see something like that. So I don't worry about story from that angle, even 1% right now. And I don't see the thing is, I don't think, I mean, it is, it does still represent a little bit of risk because I don't think they're going to put turn race into a center fielder as much as Charlie, as, as they could maybe use a true center fielder and maybe Reyes could be one. It's a weird thing to do when he's not going to be a part of your future and you're trying to pump up his trade value. So, um, I mean, I, where does story go? Like, do they play story out of position at first because they know they're okay with him and they just want to showcase Reyes at short and do it for like you a know? month? Maybe they, you know, they talk to story ahead of like, listen, we're gonna put you, we're gonna hide you here, basically for a month. While we, but first base is not that easy to just learn on the fly. I mean, I know it's the easiest of the positions, but yeah. it's not, you know, yeah, maybe going the outfield. 
Yeah, but, I mean, but then where? Because they got they got Para Blackman and and Cargo, so that doesn't even necessarily work. And I think Para isn't even Para lefty, so that's three lefties. Yeah. And sometimes they platoon, but they don't. They wouldn't platoon. I mean, would they platoon with Story with somebody? Well, they don't want him on the short end. I mean, I know it's got to get time. So, I mean, I guess yeah, I guess there is still some risk, but I'm honestly not really worried about it. I'm I'm investing in Story. <laughs> new starting first baseman for the Rockies. New, a new, new first baseman. Oh wow! If they put Reyes there, that would be. Very weird. What about um, third base? They don't have anybody good there, right? Uh, no. No, nah, they just got some loser, Nolan Ar- Arenado or something. I don't know. I never heard of him. He sucks anyway. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's going to be tough. First base, first base is the only real spot unless Jose Reyes spends the rest of his suspension learning how to catch. Um, all right, let's let's jump into the, like the other Jose Reyes. <laughs> exactly, there was a Jose a Jose A Reyes, I think, or maybe he, yeah, Jose A Reyes was was a catcher, and there was confusion when uh, when the actual Jose Reyes was was breaking out and and being a good player, not being a crappy human being. So hopefully, he can get his stuff back together because uh, it, from his life standpoint, I don't really give a crap what he does on the diamond anymore. Um, just want him to stop beating people. Uh, okay, let's talk about something else besides Jose Reyes and actually talk about Michael Conforto. Let's go back on, on the positive side of things. We got an email from John. He says, was curious what your thought, uh, what you thought I should be looking for if I decided to trade Michael Conforto. I'm in an eight-team dynasty league, 6x6 six six format, normal 5x5 five five plus OPS and quality starts. We roster 60 players each, starting two players at each position, six outfielders, and 15 pitchers. Right now, I think my team can compete and may need some pitching, although I have Conforto on a nice contract for the next four years. Sorry for the super specific league type. Actually, do not apologize for that. Greatly appreciate that you highlighted everything that is unique about your league because, uh, first off, it kind of changes the dynamics of an eight team. You know, some people hear eight team and like, ah, that's who cares about that? That's that's super easy. Well, when you when you double up the, I mean, more than double up the rosters there because the standard roster is twenty three. They're, they're going 60 players for each of these teams here. It really changes the league dynamics. Two players at each position. Yeah. So it, it, total, what's that? Well, it's a 16-team league. Exactly. At that Minus point. MI and CI, I guess. Yeah. And and so at that point, it's a it's completely different dynamic there. And honestly, right now, the way he's playing, Conforto would be relevant in an eight-team eight standard because he's just been so good. But the fact that you make it basically a 16-teamer, as you said, and it's a dynasty league, Makes him super relevant, uh, a very intriguing piece. So, first off, let me just ask point blank in this format: If you're going for it, would you even want to trade him necessarily? Would you want to trade Michael Conforto? And then we can get into what kind of pitcher uh, John might be able to get. Uh, you know what? I I don't think he's a Bryce Harper talent. You know, I don't think he's a Mike Trout talent. The one which, that you keep at all costs. Yeah, I'm not sure he is. I mean. Yeah, we have now 300 plate appearances where he's outproduced the minor league isolated powers, but isolated power doesn't, you know, stabilize that quickly. So plus he's still getting platooned. Yeah, and this is supposed to be the stuff that he was supposed to be doing like later. It's not. It's a little bit early for him at 23 to be doing this. So I I could see like a little bit of uh, maybe a book being out getting out there on him, even though he's really good at. You know, taking balls the opposite way and and covering the plate, and he's he's really good. Um, I could see a little bit of a power outage at some point, and him settling in more. Like I'm more comfortable calling him like a 280, 20 homer hitter, um, true talent, which is great. But in an eight, like an eight sixteen team like that, it's it's not uh, something you need to need to hold on. At the other end, you can always just 
sell the crap out of him. And I think you could probably get, um, I mean, I don't know if you could get Thor, but what about Garrett Cole? Who yeah, I think you could get. Hasn't been, I, I mean, I'd, he's I'd been ask good. Something like that, man. Not I'd ask for something dazzling. that could maybe be a keeper. You know, like uh, I want to keep her back. I think Cole's a great idea. I so, mean, there's. There's good strikeouts. Uh, he's had way better walk rates in his past, mm-hmm. and good team behind him. Uh, you know, good head on his shoulders. We no. haven't seen him explode yet. You know, he's had a couple ugly starts this year. A couple, uh, two of his starts have gone fewer than five innings. Once against Cubs, once at Cincy, which is weirdly his nemesis. He, he's got nothing on Cincy right now. They've they've just got him. But uh, the Cubs, perfectly understandable. Still, still not six strikeouts in that game. So his numbers aren't eye popping. This might be a time to buy. I think I would try to buy in any league on Garrett Cole right now. So I feel like that can get done. And 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 does it work as a one for one? I think so. I mean, it's it's they're both really really nice players. Yeah. Um, both. You know, I think that there's a little bit of upside still left for Cole, where he's you know he throws the secondary stuff more. Totally agree. Uh, you know, there's more swinging strikes in there. And, uh, and he often does that over the course of the season. I mean, that's, that's been actually the thing that's happened the first two seasons is he's slowly thrown more of his off-speed stuff in the second half. And I think it's just about, you know, adjusting and adjusting back, you know, giving some, showing people, you know, I'm all fastball and then, oh, wait, wait, you didn't expect that slider. Here it comes, yeah. (laughs) Because he's got really good secondary stuff. I love Garrett Cole's arsenal. And I really think that, as he evolves, that changeup will come more into focus as well. He doesn't really use it all that often, and I think he really could. And I'd take like an Aaron Nola or something who didn't have the, the same pedigree but is doing really well. Um, and I think it's mostly sustainable. I don't know if like the the, the strikeout rate surprises me a little bit on mm-hmm. Aaron Nola. Well, especially because it's mostly based on, on um, called strikes. Right, right. So we've talked about that a little bit. But still, I believe in that command, um, and I believe that he could cut his home run rate. So I believe in a lot of the things he's doing right now. Well, then so. you could probably get an outfielder back with Noah, maybe, right? You might be able to, yeah. like Or just like a usable, like, um, you know, just a guy. Just like a, a useful hitter. I can't I can't think of like a perfect. Matt Holiday? Yeah, something like, or, or, you know, yeah, something like that. Or even maybe, maybe Reddick, who we just talked about, you know. Yeah, like Reddick, yeah. I don't you think it's out of, out of bounds to, to, to ask for something like that, especially in Dynasty. A lot of Dynasty League owners really favor youth. So you're looking at Conforto at 23 and Josh Reddick at 29. Even though Reddick's numbers are good, he's, I don't think that if he's a typical de- Dynasty League owner, he's not going to be freaking like, out about they, that. And if, they, if they're like, oh, Nolan's great, then you say, well, no, Michael Conforto's great, and I'll throw you – you know, Wade Miley. Or, it's not, this is probably not relevant in their league. but uh, I'll throw He's you. close. Yeah, I'll throw you fifteen uh, pitchers. They start Q or uh, you know, I'll throw you my worst pitcher, whoever it is, uh, and and Conforto, and you give me Aaron Nola and Josh Reddick, and then you sort of you tread water this year with your outfielder, probably. Mm-hmm. It's probably not that different, and you get a keeper piece uh, with Nola, and they uh, get a better keeper piece in Conforto, and and maybe they can take the step back in pitching. So well, that's the kind done. of deal I would make. I think straight up for Cole's all right, um, but you might as well ask for their Reddick type. Yeah, um, see, see if you can make something where you really you you've got the bat. You're selling a bat. Bats. And that's the that's the premium. You, yeah, you're selling the the better end here for sure. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah. Well, hopefully that, that helps you, John. Uh, again, sleeperpod at gmail.com if you want to get your email on. We try to do at least one per show. Uh, I think Jason and I will be doing a couple next time we record. We didn't record yesterday. We're going to be recording quick tomorrow. Breaking news, which is stupid because it's not going to be breaking by the time they listen to it. But I just wanted to go. That's the air horn that ends the Anaheim. Anderson Simmons having surgery. Yeah. I'm going to undergo thumb surgery. He yeah. wasn't even he's not even a great hitter and yet pair it with the Garrett Richards and the fact that they already sucked and it is a death knell on their season. Yeah, and then uh then uh and Jarrett Parker is up for Mac Williamson in, in San Francisco. Jarrett, not not Jared, who by the, yeah. speaking of injuries, man, that guy's been devastated by injuries. What what I don't what, think anybody cares really about that one, but I, I mean I don't there's, necessarily... there's people like him a little bit, but there's uh one hits the ball really hard and has bad strikeout rates, one hits the ball not as hard and doesn't have as bad strikeout so, rates, both behind a lot of guys. But I remember Jarrett Parker being like this this DFS darling late last year for like twenty games. Didn't he hit like six or seven bombs? And just like was weirdly good. Is is he any good? I don't think so. I mean, it's a. It, I think it's a big swing or miss guy. Okay. That just hits the snot out of it when he makes it when he makes contact. Oh yeah, so, because he had a uh, forty thirty nine percent strikeout rate to go with those six bombs. I pulled it up right now. It was twenty one games of an eleven sixty three OPS, but and also then even like in Triple A this year. Yeah, even in Triple A this year, three fourteen ISO, thirty percent strikeout rate. If you have a thirty percent strikeout rate in Triple A. Uh, it'll there are a lot of things got to go right in the major leagues for you. Yep, yep, it'll really catch up to you. So probably not relevant. Maybe your super deep NL only was where you're taking anybody who's on a on a 25 man right for, now. For the Giants, it's probably I don't know. Must have something to do with lefty righty. Mac Williamson's a righty. Jared Parker's a lefty. I don't know. They must see something. I'm surprised because it seems like a lefty heavy, lefty heavy uh, division. But well, and and don't they already have a, a good number of lefties in their lineup? I don't know. They know what yeah. they're doing, though. Maybe, maybe they might know what they're doing better than we do, but I don't know for sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's going to wrap us up. We're going to get out of here, uh, finish up episode 341 here. I hope you have a great week. You and I will be back again on Wednesday. And, hey, folks, you're getting three episodes in a row. And, and it's going to be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So look forward to the next two days getting episodes as well. You know, have a good one. Talk in two days. In conclusion. Pew, 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 p